Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the youth pastor here, and our lead pastor's away. And so uh, I get to share with you from God's Word. And we are continuing in our Taste of the Kingdom series, which means I'm going to invite you to open to Galatians 5. And I'm going to read these verses for us, a section we often refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. These are um, a different kind of delicious things to eat. But we read in Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You see, our focus for this series is that we might, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, begin developing the characteristics of God so that when we go out in our community, whether it's with people who know Jesus intimately or don't, that they would be able to taste and see that the Lord is good because they get a taste of what God is like through their encounters with us. And so we've looked at love and we've looked at peace and then last week we looked at joy. And now we're going to come to forbearance. And right off the start, I'm, you're going to note something as we move on this morning. I'm not always going to use that word. And there's two reasons for it. Reason number one, when I was little and I memorized this list, we were much more fond of using a different word, and that was the word patience, right? And, and even some of you, you'll be reading through your Bibles. You'll be like, yeah, no, it didn't have that forbearance thing in there. It, it just had patience. So we're going to address that a little bit in a moment about what different translations use and why, what are the differences in those things and why do we sometimes use one and why do we sometimes use the other. But instead, I went looking this week for um, ways patience is used in our world to get a sense of what does this mean. And I stumbled upon uh, the work of a comedian. His name, conveniently, is Brian Work. Uh, and um, he had this line and I'm really glad my wife stepped out of the room at the moment because uh, this doesn't, she might accuse, she has been the past accused me of this, but here's what he said. He said, I'm here to share with you that the secret to being a husband and a father, and that is patience. I have learned that at three o'clock in the morning, when my baby girls wake up crying, that if I lay there patiently, my wife will wake up and deal with it. <laughs> right? We've been there, some of us. Like, ah. Some of you are about to become a father. One of you, at least, is about to become a father. One is a new father, so you guys can take that and ignore it. Uh, highly recommend that. Uh, so we're going to look at patience today. And I know that many of us have at some point or another prayed this prayer. And I wish, I do want to teach you a prayer if you've never heard it. Uh, and I, but I think most of you have. You've probably prayed it. I wish I could just get up here today and make this a 30-second sermon, and we all just learn this prayer, and we go on, and the prayer is this. Lord, grant me patience and grant it now. We've been there, right? <laughs> We've been there. And I share this with you because often when we think of patience, we think about waiting, and we just think about our, like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and patience being the opposite of that, but it is so much more. Because we've all, and we've all, we're all guilty of this thing where we just can't wait. But patience isn't just waiting. 
And we're going to see that in part by how the scriptures present God and what his patience looks like. But also, we're going to begin, though, by looking at just what is, the, how do different translations cover this? Because what we often have in the scriptures, when we go to the Bible, like we notice this with love, right? We have one English word, the word love, for example, and, and in the Bible, it's in different languages, right? It's written in Greek and it's written in Hebrew, and they nuance it by having different words for what we would have one word for they have multiple so if you're in the new testament and you see the word love we might go well what kind of love is that is that like the love you would have for a brother is that like a phileo love or is that a unconditional love is that like an agape love and we have ways of nuancing it but in english it's but here it's the opposite they have one word that we have patience and then we'll try and translate it different ways to kind of understand what is the object of the patience what is the thing with which we need to be patient is it another person? Is it one of those cans of like pineapple where there's supposed to be a pull tab that you rip off and the tab comes off 90% of the time and the can is still closed? And you're like, oh, I need some patience here instead of, you know, just smashing it with a hammer to get it out. Or is it a traffic-related thing, right? We have all these different things in our life where we need patience and we understand it better when we understand what is the object of that or the form of that patience, so we're going to have to ask, what does God's patience look like? What form is it that his spirit would produce in us? So we see different translations. For example, a lot of them will have patience. That might be what's in your Bible because the uh, like New American Standard or the English Standard Version or the New Living Translation and a few others use the, still use that word patience. But in others, I found this was interesting. If we look, for example, uh, as we already read the NIV, which is forbearance, if you've got the King James version or the New King James, you're going to see a different word, and that word is long-suffering, which I quite thought was excellent. That, that presents a different, slightly picture of it. The Wycliffe Bible would have long-abiding. This translation I thought was really interesting, the Amplified, which I don't really use, but in study sometimes I'll look at other translations, and they put it this way. They said patience, and then they qualify that by saying not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're late waiting. Thought that was a great bit of commentary. The message has a willingness to stick to things. In other words, we don't give up easily. Right? We, we can stick to things. So this morning, yes, we're going to look at patience, but we're also talking about forbearance. We're not becoming the people who don't just give up. And this is something we see again and again of God's character. In fact, in his commentary, James Montgomery Boyce notes that patience is a common characteristic for God. In fact, he's kind of referencing that it's used of God more than anything else. His creation isn't so patient, but God is. God is patient. And that comes out in a few ways. We just look at all the time scripture describes God. I love that last song we just did because it's right out of so many different passages in the Bible, but that phrase, slow to anger. Sometimes when we think of patience, we think of the ability to maintain one's cool. In other words, not have a short fuse. This is how God is described. He is slow to anger and abiding in love. This comes up in three different psalms, for example, and interestingly, all three of them, whether it's Psalm uh, 103 as an example, uh, these psalms where it comes up are psalms of David. 
And David is someone who absolutely grieved God. In fact, he experienced the patience of God. And then he writes about it this way, that God is slow to anger. He knows what God's patience looks like. Other times, the phrase was used by prophets to help the people of God understand what they were experiencing, trying to help them see that they, were, they had grieved God, and yet God was being patient with them. Joel, for example, uses this in Joel 2.13. He uses the same expression. Israel, listen, right? He writes, says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. This is how Joel wanted the Israelite people to understand God. That though they were far from God, God was not far from them. He was sticking with them. He hadn't given up. Now, it is interesting to note there is one prophet who used this phrase and actually used it in a different way. And I only mention it because I know some of you will go out and you will just do a quick Bible search of that phrase, slow to anger, and you'll be like, hey, what about this reference? Well, one prophet, his name is Jonah, uses it in an interesting way. He actually throws it back at God as a little bit of a retort. He's angry with God, and he's like, God, what is wrong with you? Why are you slow to anger? That's slightly my translation. But he does use that phrase, and he's upset with God because God has shown patience to a people that Jonah, where Jonah wanted God to show wrath. Jonah wanted God to show up, crush all the people of Nineveh, all the Assyrian people, and instead God was slow to anger. And Jonah wasn't happy about it. Jonah, absolutely, if we read through the whole book, we see that he wants patience from God for himself. He's the one who's like, I can run away from God, no consequence, and he wants to do that, but he doesn't want that for anyone else. But yet, God is patient with Jonah. He brings him back in, right? He sees Jonah run away and he goes after Jonah. He sticks with him. He sticks with him. And then Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh and God does not wipe the city out. He gives them an opportunity to repent and come back to him. This phrase goes all the way back to Exodus 34. The people of Israel are in transition. They've left Egypt. They're in the wilderness becoming a nation. And Moses, their leader, is on the mountain receiving from God the words that would shape their, their way of living and relating to one another. And in Exodus 34, 5 and 6, we read that the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, him being Moses. And he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And then in verse 6, we read these words, and, it, and he passed in front of Moses. This is the God of Israel, the creator of the universe, passed in front of Moses and said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This was going to be central to God's identity of how he went with Israel, of how he was committed to them as being their God and asked for them to commit to him as being the people of God. He was going to hold on to them with compassion, with grace, being slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. 
And all of these are connected in, in what we need to understand of patience. Of course, and I do find it interesting that we can look at all of these examples in being the Old Testament. Because I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about God in the Old Testament. He seems kind of like to have a short fuse, right? He often is sending Israel out to go and, you know, kill all these people, or this person's dying, or this person's dying, or whoever's dying. Lots of death. And yet, this is central to his identity. Slow to anger. And we're going to hold those intention a little bit. But we move to the New Testament. Jesus is a man of patience. And what did that patience look like? Well, he had 12 children who went around with him everywhere. No, he had 12 disciples. And he spent his years with them teaching them. Teaching them how to continue his work in something that would become known as the church. And if we follow that ministry, that teaching time through the Gospels, what we see time and again, Jesus presents a lesson, and then in the very next scene, clearly they didn't learn it. And all of you with children know what that's like. We tell them one thing and they don't seem to get it. So he tells them again. He never once kicks them out. He never once says, you know what, I, I should start again. You guys are like clearly not getting this. I'll do it. Can I get a mulligan and do over and find 12 new ones? No, he sticks with them. He presents the lessons again and again until they get it, or at least until he's left, and then they have to get it. Peter, for, in one famous example, Peter rejected Jesus. Jesus is on trial. Peter denies three times knowing Jesus. What happens a few days later? Jesus finds Peter, meets with Peter, and brings him back in. Reinstating, Jesus, uh, reinstating Peter as an apostle, showing an incredible amount of patience and love towards Peter. Jesus never gave up on Peter, even though Peter denied even knowing him. And Jesus didn't do this. He didn't show patience with them because he wanted something from them. It wasn't that he just need, he didn't need them. He loved them. He had compassion for them. He loved them enough to stick with them instead of starting over. Now, of course, you're probably thinking, hey, wait a minute, when I, I, I know enough of the Gospels, I know there's times where Jesus rebuked people. He lost his temper. He got angry. He had sharp words. Yes, absolutely. If our understanding of patience is merely one where uh, it's um, void of any re rebuke, where to be patient is to have no rebuke for others, then we would be amiss. Because there's time where Jesus called people out. As I said, he lost his temper, he got angry, he rebuked people. Famously, with his 12 disciples, there was people bringing children to Jesus, and what did they do? Stop, hold on, we're not going to let you get close. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, let the children come to me. The whole kingdom is like, they're a key part of this kingdom I'm setting up. He called them out in front of people, and yet he was still patient with them. One time in particular, and it's recorded a couple places in the Gospels, but in Matthew 21 being one of them, Jesus entered the temple. And I think if you or I were there that day as witnesses, as bystanders, if we had gone into the temple to pray or to buy some sacrificial doves, we would probably see what Jesus was doing and go, I think this guy's got a problem. He's losing it. I don't know if you've ever seen road rage, where you see one person just, or any kind of rage, where one person's just yelling at another and you're like, oh, what is going on with them? And it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable, and we think that there's got to be more to this. 
And I think that's what Jesus looked a little bit like in the temple that day because he saw the people changing money and he saw the people selling animals for sacrifice and he saw the commotion and he saw everything that was set up and he started kicking people out. The Bible says he made a whip, he turned over tables, he caused a ruckus. I think we would look at that and go, that doesn't look like patience. And if our understanding of patience is simply composure, then we would never see that it is, in fact, still a person. Jesus is still a person of patience. So why do I say that? Because we need to look at what he lost his temper over. You had a temple system where in order of a hierarchy, if you're male and if you're Jewish, you get to go into the better part, the part closer to where God's presence was. If you're female, you've got to stay a step back. If you're not Jewish or a non-Israelite, you've got to be back one court yet. And it's in that outer court, the court that was supposed to be for the foreigners, the people who were learning about God or, or had that cultural uh, barrier where they weren't fully Jewish, a place where they, a, temp- a court for all nations, could come and worship God and pray. And so what Jesus saw that day, I think, is he saw the religious leaders setting up a system that kept people from God. And if we follow back through Scripture, the times where God loses his patience the most, where he is the most uh, short in, in what is typically our understanding of patience, when he's the most angry is when someone has set up a system that keeps someone else from knowing God. And that's what we see in this instance in Matthew 21. Jesus saw that the space that was to be a space of prayer and worship for the outsider was so clogged up and noisy that they couldn't have this, an access to God. Imagine if you wanted to come in here today and we invited the circus and you wanted to come in and pray and worship, which we love doing together. It's a beautiful thing. But instead, you had to push past some elephants. And over here, we had a couple giraffes. And, right? and we had this, for me, I wouldn't even be able to, cut, like the air would be so thick of hay, I could just imagine how many allergy pills I would need to get through it. It would be a horrendous nightmare. And we would go, what have you done? You you'd certainly would look at Kevin and I like, oh my goodness, Jeff can never go away again. What are these guys going to do to our church? And yet, This is something like what they would have experienced. They came to pray. They came to know God. They came to do what was right for God so that they could be God's people too. And yet they had to stay out because it was so noisy they couldn't pray, so crowded they couldn't get in. And Jesus was not going to just sit by and watch it unfold. He was going to do something about it. Because when the religious leaders set up a system that kept people from coming to God, Jesus was not just going to sit by and watch it unfold. He was going to be quick to act. And what we see, too, if we look through all of his interactions with the religious leaders, we see a pattern in that he is sharp with them, he is clear with them, he is direct with them, but he always makes time for them. This, too, is an act of his patience. He doesn't cut them off and say, you know what, I'm done. He always creates space for another challenge. Another time where they come to him and, hey, Jesus, what about this? He never once set up Peter and John as like, hey, you guys, (laughs) keep them away. No, he let them come. 
Let them bring their challenges, bring their things. He didn't give up. He created space for them. This was an aspect of his patience. He would not let them hurt others, but he would not cut them off either. So if we look back on all of this, and we could go through scripture with many more examples of God's patience. And I invite you, some of you are in life groups. That's going to be part of your challenge for this week. I'll give you a heads up on that. But as we look back on these examples of God's patience, we see that it is not about speed or swiftness or even a lack of follow through on doing what is right. Remember all those verses, if we go through and actually went through all the times it says God is slow to anger, it then talks about God still being just and God still following through with those who are unrighteous. So we see that God is one who sticks with people who loves them, who creates space for them, and doesn't walk away. This is key to understanding God's patience. And so as we think this week, okay, uh, Jeff has been often encouraging us with three practical steps. Um, We're going to do that likewise with patience, understanding sometimes for me, patience can feel like an absolutely hopeless thing. There's no way I can grow in it. Oh my goodness, that just, like, joy I get. Oh yeah, I can do practices to be more joyful. And love, that's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Even, even peace, we can, we can do some things to grow in peace, but patience can seem, for me, and I'm sure for some of you, it can seem like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do that. But there's a few things we can think through and I want to challenge us with in ways to act so that God's spirit can help peace or patience grow in us so that we would be able to bear with one another and remain unified as God's people. And uh, for some of you, because I know you are uh, animal lovers, specifically all the dog lovers amongst us, they might look a little bit like commands you might have for your dog or your child or your soccer team of five-year-olds, um, which I, but they are this. I want them to be memorable, so we're going to put it this way. It is to sit to stay, and to listen. To sit, to stay, and to listen. Well, let's look at them each. First, we sit, because sometimes slowing down just isn't slow enough. And there are several aspects to this. The first is that we need to actually sit in community with one another. We need to be with people. I know some of you, uh, okay, myself, this, is, this feels like a lot of confession this morning. Uh, that's probably a good thing. More is yet to come. Um, I thought I was the most patient person in the world, and then I had children, right? Sometimes we think we're the most patient people in the world, but that's just because we haven't spent a lot of time with people. Interestingly enough, Canada is about 80% of our land is unpopulated. There's lots of space where we can go and just not have anyone around and our patience will never be tested. But that's not what we're called to in Scripture. We're called to be with people, to live as a community, a family of God. And for that, we're going to need to be patient and bear with one another. So we need to sit with others, create time and space for one another. This might, for you, look like just creating a schedule that has more margins, more free time, more time where we have to say no to certain things so we actually have time for one another. 
If you're the person that feels like you're always asking people to walk with you and keep up so you can have a conversation, we need to think through, okay, wait, is that actually helping me? Is that actually fulfilling our call to be people with one another and be in community with one another? So we need to sit with others. Maybe this week there's someone we just need to invite out for coffee and sit down and listen with. And not just the people we love to talk with because they think exactly like us and we all get along, but especially with those who think differently than us and challenge our thinking. We sit with them. But we also need to sit with ourselves. The most patient people in the world know how to sit quietly on their own without always distraction, without always noises, without a lot. Some traditions will call it meditation, but I specifically like how it comes up in the Psalms. And in 103, we read the call that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. We love that second part. Yes, we want to know that God is God, right? We want to know and see how he is exalted among the nations. We want to see him exalted, but it starts by being still. And that is often hard. So we will need to be people comfortable with sitting, with stopping, with stillness. And then naturally, or flowing out of that, we stay. But this really specifically isn't just, okay, yeah, okay, you're sitting, you're still, right, right you stay. Uh, no, this is about exit strategy. Do we approach relationships and all sorts of life situations with an eye on the exit? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get away from this person or these people? Or, or what's the plan to leave? Because when we have our eye on the exit, we're never fully present with the people. We're never fully committed to the, those we are in community with if we always have a plan for how to get out. So we're, I challenge us to think through our staying power, which is in part whether or not we have an eye on the exit, but it's also an, uh, having an eye on where our love is at for the people around us. Because nothing has the staying power that love does. If we're just in it because we're like too lazy to move, that's not the same either. But are we there in relationship with people because we actually have a growing love for them? Now, a few weeks back when we started this series, Jeff was looking at love and he shared with us kind of three steps to grow in that that I would remind us of. And the first is humility, right? Being humble before God and others. The second is respecting the value and dignity of each person, which includes assuming the best of them. And the third is listening to others. Do we actually hear them? Do we have the, this, the capacity in the space just to sit with someone and listen? Ears open. Now, when I look through my life and I, 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 I pay attention to when I am impatient with people or I'm not able or I'm struggling to bear with others, what I often see is a lack of love in myself or that other. And I challenge you to ask the same thing of yourself. Is our 
lack of love leading to our own sense of impatience? Or are we expecting something of them? And then they don't deliver it. And we're like, ah, oh, I don't get you. And we lose patience with them. And we're, we, we're struggling to really accept them. Or, and so I would ask, is it a lack of acceptance that's leading to a lack of love where we expect something, them to be or say or do something that they're just not going to do? Or are we growing in love, humility, respect, and listening? So we'll sit, we'll stay, and we'll listen. And in part, I'm going to challenge us to listen by asking God and the people in our life about when they've had to be patient with you. This week, I will uh, confess, I started my week and I, I prayed, okay, God, give me eyes to see all the examples of patience in the world around me. And I really wanted to get up here today and share with you all the times I was like the model of patience and all the times I was just amazing at creating space for people. And uh, it started really good. We were uh, Tuesday morning in our staff meeting and you might remember the bridge was backed up. Uh, it was a big accident, which... I wasn't wanting God to create a big accident each week for a patience illustration, but it worked. Uh, and I'm like, look at all these people. They're having to wait. This is an incredible example. Uh, but you know what really quickly happened? Um, I got a text that afternoon at 1.15, and the text went like this. Hey, are you on your way? And I went, oh, no. I had an appointment at 1 o'clock that afternoon, and I had totally missed putting it in my calendar. And there was a person waiting on me patiently. They were wondering where I'm at. Was I the accident on the bridge? What's going on? And, it, and I realized as much as I might love to come up and give examples of how I have been patient, the reality is I need so much more patience than I will probably ever extend to others. And I'm really hoping I'm not the only one. And I think if we examine and listen, we will see there are ways not just where God has been patient with us, but where the people around us have been patient with us too. Because we all require patience. We, uh, uh, I, I don't want to uh, depress anyone, but Christmas is coming. And uh, we're already thinking through what is that going to look like. And, and my, my brain flashed to all those things we might purchase that come with that little set of words, some assembly required. In many ways, we all could wear a t-shirt that says some, you might cross that off for me, but some patience required. We all are going to require patience at some point or another where someone is going to have to bear with us. We might look at someone and go, boy, that person suffers long because they stick with that person. Whatever the situation might be, none of us are so easy to get along with that patience is unnecessary. The God of love who placed his spirit in us knows that absolutely about us. And he is incredibly patient with us. He bears with us. He sticks with us. Through our imperfection, he loves us more and more into the image of his son. And we can trust that he is not going to give up on us any time soon. 
And so may we become more and more like his son in that we become more and more patient with those around us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that when we see a challenge like this in scripture, we can also see where you have lived it out and where you have done it. And then you promise to put your spirit in us so that we have that help in becoming more like you. So God, we thank you and that you have been patient with us, that you have stuck with your people. Even when you drove your people out of Israel, you didn't give up on them. And so God, may we have eyes to see when you've done that for us. And God, may that cause us to grow in our patience. May we grow in our love for one another so that the the community around us would be able to taste and see that you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.